repeated. So you say one line, and then you say the next line, and you kind of strengthen what you've already said. So we have the first line of the poem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And then he, he amplifies it. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Good poetry, right? You're like, oh yeah, I'm appreciating the poetry. The rhyme's not there, but it's good poetry. It's good. Here it goes again. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. You're right, okay. So the king is writing up. You expect that, that looks good. And how is the king writing? Righteous and having salvation. Perfect, perfect. And then it says this. Gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. And at that point, your ears are supposed to go, uh, no. That doesn't make sense. That's not how kings ride. When the people of Jesus' day are watching Jesus, what they're used to are Romans riding in. Because the Romans had been riding into their city of Jerusalem for years, for decades. And when the Romans rode in, they rode in triumph and they rode in power. They rode in on a white horse. They rode in with their armies behind them. It was even bigger if you were in Rome. In Rome, they had what was called the triumph. And if you were a conquering general or an emperor, you would ride into town, sometimes on a horse, more often on a chariot. And the people of Rome would be praising your name. And behind you would be your armies. And behind them would be the spoils of war. The trophies, the slaves, the money you had taken through your conquest. And that was the goal of every Roman general to earn themselves a triumph. And what Zechariah is saying is completely different. See, your king comes to you, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There had been some history in Israel of kings riding on a donkey. King Solomon does it. But it doesn't happen again until approximately 163 B.C. But first, a little history. So all you history buffs are going, yeah, it's the History Channel. Some of you are going, please go fast. I'll go fast. So here's quick history of Israel. Here we go. 586 B.C., the nation of Babylon conquers the nation of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem. Conquers them. Doesn't wipe them out. But takes a pretty good job. Knocks down the walls. The city is, for all intents and purposes, gone. And the people are relocated to the nation of Babylon. Around 532, the Babylons are defeated by the Persians. And the Persians say to the Jews, you can go back to Jerusalem if you want to. There's nothing there, but you can go back there if you want to. And many do. Many don't, but many do around 532 B.C. But they're still under the thumb of the Persians. That changes around 332, and a man named Alexander the Great comes on down, defeats the Persians, and now he controls Palestine and Jerusalem, 332 B.C. But then something happens. 164 B.C. 
164 BC, we have what's called the Maccabean Revolt. It, it's kicked off because one of the Greek leaders, a guy named by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, you do not need to remember that for your salvation. Antiochus Epiphanes IV decides he's sick of the Jewish people. And so what he does is he brings an army into Jerusalem under the guise of peace. They get within the city walls, and he wipes out the population. And then he takes a pig, and he sacrifices it on the altar in the temple. As you might imagine, people were not pleased. A revolt happens, the Maccabean Revolt. It's so successful using guerrilla warfare tactics that in 164 B.C., they win. The Jews defeat the Greek Empire. And they establish control of their own country for the first time since 586 B.C. The people were absolutely stoked. They were free politically and religiously for the first time in 500 years. And in 164 B.C., they rededicate the temple. You may have heard that ceremony. It's called Hanukkah. Twelve crazy nights, right? That's 164 BC, and that's what they were celebrating. And they were a free people. Until a guy named by the name of Pompey rides into town with his Roman army, 63 BC. And in 63 BC, Jerusalem and the Jews become under the control of the Romans. And that lasts until 33 AD. When Simon Maccabeus began the rededication of the temple in 164 BC, he rode on a white horse on the same path from the top of the Mount of Olives down into the Kidron Valley and up into the city of Jerusalem. He rides on this path, and it says this in 1 Maccabees chapter 13, with a chorus of praise and the waving of palm branches, the people welcomed in their conquering champion, Simon Maccabeus. That was 64, I'm sorry, 164 BC. And here we are in 33 AD, and the people see Jesus, and he's riding a donkey. And so what do they do? They cut down those palm branches, they wave them, and they shout, Hosanna! Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And they put their garments down. And they lay them on the path so the donkey doesn't even have to touch the dirt. The implication is clear. Maybe this Jesus, maybe this Jesus, maybe he's like Simon Maccabeus. Maybe instead of kicking out the Greeks, he can kick out the Romans. Just maybe. And once again, we can be a free people, finally. You can imagine how hopeful they were. You can imagine the energy in the air. You can imagine the tension in the air as the Roman soldiers watched on. But Jesus soon makes it clear. His freedom is not a political freedom. And his kingdom is not of this world. Because John chapter 12 discusses it. 
See, John chapter 12, it talks about that Palm Sunday when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on that donkey and the people are singing his praises and waving those palm branches. In the very next verse, it says this. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. It's an odd thing for Jesus to say. These Greeks come up to Jesus and say, we want to talk to you, we want to see you, we want to meet you. And Jesus, he doesn't blow them off. He doesn't go see them. Instead, he reiterates why he's there. He's in Jerusalem for one purpose. He's there to die. And he's there to die for the sins of those Greeks. He's there to die for the sins of those Romans. He's there to die for the sins of those Jews. He's there to die for your sins. And for mine. He's not there to conquer the Greeks and kick them out. He's not there to conquer the Romans and kick them out. He's there for them. And, because of that, he's there for you. Jesus is the ultimate servant leader. He leads through self-sacrifice. He leads through suffering. He leads uh, by violence, but not violence to anyone else, just violence to himself. He's the ultimate servant leader. And he gives what no leader can give, and that's forgiveness. It's life. It's now and always. And it's at this point in the message, I wanted to give you something that you could take home with you. Instead of an incredible historical lesson on Palestine in uh, 500 BC to 3380. So I wanted to talk about servant leadership. And the challenge is that there are like 2 million books on servant leadership. And they all list the same, you know, qualities of a servant leader. A, B, C, D. I thought, you know, instead of doing that, because you've probably read half of those things already, I want to just focus on one of them. And so one quality of a servant leader, I think, is really lacking in our world today. Servant leaders listen. They listen. They've done surveys of people, and they asked people, uh, do you believe that you are a below average, an average, or an above average listener? And the vast majority of people believe they are above average listeners. In other words, the vast majority of people believe they listen better than everyone else, which is absolutely false. Listening is really hard work. It's hard to do. And I think it's getting harder. I think through social media, you're able to say things, but you're not, you don't have to listen. And through text message, you can say things, and you, don't have to, you can put things off. And through iPhones and whatever smartphones, 
it's hard to be present. It's just hard to be present and just be with people and listen. Listening is really hard. And if you don't believe me, check out this video. And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. You do have a nail in your head. It's not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of here. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. See, you're not listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. <laughs> and all my sweaters are snagged. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on, if you would just don't. So some of you are watching this going, I just want to hammer right now. I can get that thing out right now. I'm just going to fix it right now. It'll hurt for a little bit, but I'm going to fix it. And others of you watching that video going, oh, finally he listened. Finally he listened. Listening is hard. Because sometimes we listen, and we're not listening to the person. What we're doing is we're finding solutions. I can fix that for you. The person's saying, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to understand. Most of the times, the person can fix it on their own. But they're asking for someone to walk with them through this hardship. We hear, but we don't listen. How many of you had this conversation with someone very close to you? We're spending too much money. Right? You say that. We're spending too much money. And what the other person hears is, you think I am uh, irresponsible and um, I spend too much money. Which isn't what the person said. Now, it might be what they mean, but it might not. You never know until you listen. So, I've asked a volunteer, I asked my son to help me up here. So, sorry, David. <laughs> All right. All right, come on here, everybody. All right. Thanks. I owe you done yet. Okay, I'm going to double your allowance this week. <laughs> All right, so David, I want you to tell me about something that you would like me to do more or less often. Uh, wake me up less often in the morning. <laughs> wake you up less often in the morning. Okay. So, at this point, I could start thinking, he's going to make us late again. He's going to make us late. We're going to be late. We're going to drive through I-70. 
at a sweet 75 miles per hour. Because we go through these, these filters, right? We go through these filters. And now I'm not listening. So I gotta listen. Okay, so you want me to wake you up less often. Okay. I'm, I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Can you, can you tell me more? Uh, <laughs> um, I can wake myself up. I don't need two dogs on top of me. <laughs> <laughs> I use the top because I throw the dogs on him to wake him up in the morning. It's really quite fun, actually. I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> if if the, he really needs to wake up, I don't let him go outside first. And sometimes they pee on him. That's awesome. So... The issue isn't that that's all you want me to wake you up. You would like to be do your own alarm clock and not have me throw two puppies on you yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Okay. Um, so am I when I wake you up, is it too early? Or is the issue how I do it? Um, how I do it. Right. So throwing two dogs on you and, and shaking you yeah. in the morning like that is not your preferred method of being woken up in the morning. Okay, all right, so what I hear you saying is, is that you would like to set your own alarm and that you want to be in charge, you're responsible for getting yourself up and getting yourself going. Okay, all right, all right. I, okay, that sounds good, that sounds good, thanks. All right, listening is key. Now here's the key thing about listening. To listen doesn't mean you have to agree. <laughs> it does mean you have to understand. That's what it means. Uh, the classic example, I think I've used this before, I was working with this couple in premarital counseling, and he did this exact same exercise. And I said, say one thing you'd like your spouse, your fiancé, to do more or less often. And she says to him, I would like you to love me more. I had even said, pick a small issue. <laughs> And she said, I would like you to love me more. And I looked at my watch. I'm like, oh, this is going to take a while. <laughs> and he lost it. He absolutely lost it. He goes, what are you talking about? I love you. I go to your apartment. I make dinner for you before you get home from work. Sometimes I clean your apartment, and it's filthy. And he goes on this list of things he does for her. And she says, I know, I know, I know. And I thank you, thank you so much. But you don't. Love me. Because she came from a great touchy-feely family. And they held hands, and they gave hugs, and they kissed, and that's how you showed love in her family when she grew up. And he said, he goes, I don't think my dad's ever told me that he loves me. But I know he does, because he would do anything for me. He would drop whatever he's doing, and he would do anything for me. So in his family, they showed love in a different way. Listening is critical. And when you listen, you say things like, I'm not, I don't quite understand fully, tell me more. You say things, so what I hear you saying is, it sounds like you feel, it sounds like you're going through, you, you might be experiencing this, am I correct? And you're always asking, for validation. Do I hear you correctly? Uh, some years ago, I did, took some classes in counseling, and I went back east uh, to Regent University for a week-long seminar with all these other people who were practicing counseling. 
And for the first week, all we did was practice how to listen. And so it was great. So you'd go to the cafeteria and you'd have lunch with all these people who were practicing how to listen. And I tell you, you felt like the most honored person in the world because someone was listening to you. And that's all it took. It was a fun week. And then you work hard and someone else was like, okay, now you tell me what you're going through. And I'm going, and I'm going to just listen. See, to listen, you don't have to agree. But you do have to understand. And nine times out of ten, once you understand, you usually do agree. And two, you don't have to fix it. See, here's the cool thing about following Jesus. Jesus fixes things that we never could. Jesus fixes situations in which we are powerless And when you follow Jesus, he will take you into places and he will put you in situations where you are absolutely powerless and you cannot fix it. And whatever false God you might be leaning on to fix things in your life will be absolutely destroyed. And your only hope will be to say, I don't know. I don't have the answers. But let me walk with you through this and I'll help you carry this burden and together we'll look towards Jesus we'll look towards the one who died and rose for you we'll look towards the one who writes the end of each and every one of our stories and says it is finished welcome home Jesus invites you to listen because he listens and he cares for you. Amen? Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, may he guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus for life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray.